the College of Human Flourishing. Rather than what do you want to do with your degree, I've taken to asking my students, what do you want to become? I want to disassociate in their minds who they will be as people versus what job classification will mark them. I've gotten out of the habit when at networking events or dinner parties of asking people, what do you do? Because I found, especially among younger colleagues, that they would rather talk about their side hustle or passion project. Their job pays the bills, but they would rather not define themselves so narrowly. So in response to my question, what do you want to become? A student visiting my office said, I want to be happy. <laughs> what a fascinating response. I'm not certain that my university or any university is set up to advise and educate this student. Colleges and universities are good at inculcating skills that will help them succeed at a job or otherwise develop cognitive abilities. But to pursue happiness, that would require another kind of educational institution. I've written recently about the end of human capital or the end of the association between higher education and job training in service to the needs of the economy. There's been an interesting development in economics that posits that a better measure of economic vitality is not GDP per capita, but instead a happiness index. Happiness, flourishing, is often ignored in official statistics and thus rendered invisible and unimportant in determining the health of an economy. Rather than tethering the university to the development of human capital, what if the university instead were in the business of developing happiness? Paul Anon writes for this group of economists who think that human flourishing rather than growth or enhanced shareholder value is the central goal of economic life. In this formulation, wealth is reconceptualized as happiness. Higher education in its current form is well-developed at generating human capital to satisfy the needs of a knowledge economy. What if we placed human flourishing as the mission and purpose of a college education? How might a college be redesigned to help my student achieve happiness? Thinking of the purpose of a college education in this way is important especially given that a greater number of students arrive at college today with mental health challenges. It is a vast oversimplification to say that many of these students are unhappy. At my university, we have a well-apportioned fitness center, actually quite a few scattered about campus. I often find students running on treadmills, lifting weights, swimming, and playing basketball as I walk to the squash courts. There are cafes serving healthy snacks and drinks after their workouts. Critics often decry these as unnecessary frill, frills, the climbing wall often held up as an example of the gratuitous luxuries that contribute to the rising costs of higher education. But another way of seeing the fitness center is that it is encouraging exercise and the care of the body as a regular habit for students just as we would hope that good communication skills or the ability to write code is a valuable outcome of a college education. Looked at in this way, fitness becomes a life skill that contributes to happiness, well-being, and flourishing. 
can the pursuit of happiness be considered higher learning? What would the curriculum for such a college look like? Anand describes a school in the south of England that has introduced a curriculum on happiness. In his words, the new well-being program comprises six strands, physical health, positive relationships, perspective related particularly to resilience and thinking for coping with adversity, engagement, the world, particularly sustainability and personal relations to a materialistic world, and finally, meaning and purpose. Imagine a college whose core curriculum were organized around these six strands. Outside of a formal curriculum, the space of the College of Human Flourishing would also need to contribute to developing happiness. It would need to be designed to incubate social capital. Anand defines social capital and especially community social capital as the quality of the environment in which an individual lives, the context that facilitates or hinders individual well being. Anand says that, again, in his words, if we are concerned about the mechanisms by which people achieve their own life quality, or the kinds of societies we wish to foster, then we need to recognize that a variety of social factors, such as norms, behaviors, and social ties, do make a significant contribution to how well-being is produced and distributed. How might a college be designed as a context of social factors that unleashes well-being and flourishing? It is difficult to be exact about the causality in all of this as involvements with communities grow over time, concludes Anand. But it is clear that environments have some impacts on life quality and that the rise of online environments is likely to complicate substantially the ways in which social environments contribute to life quality. Although he was not directly describing it, one wonders if an online educational experience is a poor conductor of well being. And that if we are to build the College of Human Flourishing, it would have to be a residential in-person experience. Actual social connection is the only means of reliably cultivating human flourishing. 